0: the holidays always find a way. Hola, Amara La Negra here from Exactly Amara Podcast. Holidays y tradiciones go hand in hand. Whether you're making mom's famous recipes or getting your kids all dolled up to spend time with their loved ones, it's really about enjoying the real magic of the season by surrounding yourself with buenos amigos y familia, delicious food, mucho amor y cariño, and of course, ice cold coat. Because Coca-Cola pairs perfectly with every holiday get-together, Coca-Cola and the My Cultura Podcast Network is another great pairing. With their generous support, we can continue to bring you our stories, our way, and told by us. There's no better time to celebrate our stories than now and to celebrate our storytellers all year long. Coca-Cola, proud partner of the My Cultura Podcast Network. Listen to new episodes of your favorite My Cultura shows available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: This is America with Rich Valdez, powered by politweek.com. And Rich Valdez is with us, former Christie administration official. You work for Chris Christie, you've been in politics, a lot of public service stuff. Rich Valdez,
2: Valdez. columnist now with The Washington Times. This is
1: America. Uh, Rich V, you're on the air with The Nation. The Nation. This is America with your host, Rich Valdez.
2: What's up, America? I am Rich Valdez. Valdez with an S on all of the social media. Your liberty-loving Latino amigo right here, 17 miles away from Madison Square Garden, New York City. And we're talking about subsidiaries, stagflation, and secularization. Now, when it comes to a subsidiary, that's the word that was used by Matt Taibbi in this latest piece that he broke on Twitter On Friday afternoon, it says the Twitter files now show Twitter acted as a subsidiary of the FBI. Go figure, right? On Friday, Matt Taibbi released the sixth installment of the Twitter files covering the collusion between the social media giant and the FBI. Now, Taibbi says the government agency acted as a subsidiary for the company before Elon Musk's takeover. This is a thread. I'm going to read you a couple of the numbers on this thread. In thread number one, he says... The Twitter Files, Part 6, Twitter and the FBI. Christopher Wray has been the director of the FBI since 2017, and the Twitter Files are revealing more every day about how the government collects, analyzes, and flags your social media content. Twitter's contact with the FBI was constant and pervasive, as if it were an actual subsidiary. Between January 2020 and November 2022, Yoel Roth Uh, had exchanged 150 emails between him and the FBI. Now, he's the former head of the Trust and Safety Division of uh, Twitter. Some of these emails are mundane, like the San Francisco agent Elvis Chan wishing Roth a Happy New Year, along with a reminder to attend their quarterly call next week. Others are requesting information on Twitter users related to active investigations, but a surprisingly high number are requests by the FBI for Twitter to take action on election misinformation, even jokes between small accounts that had very little followers. The FBI's social media focused task force known as FTIF that was created in the wake of the 2016 election grew to over 80 agents and corresponded with Twitter to identify alleged foreign influences in elections with tampering of all different kinds, the federal intelligence and law enforcement reach that went into Twitter included Department of Homeland Security, which partnered with the security contractors and think tanks to pressure Twitter to moderate content. It's no secret that the government analyzes bulk data for all sorts of purposes, everything from tracking terrorist uh, suspects to making economic forecasts. But the Twitter files show something new. Agencies like the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security regularly sent social media content to Twitter through multiple entry points, and they were already pre-flagged for moderation. What stands out here is the sheer quantity of reports from the government. Some are aggregated from public hotlines. So they would get these public hotlines saying protect your voice. Uh, if you see uh, you know, the Na- National Election Command post, which provides a centralized location – to access election-related threats, and they would come into the FBI, they'd be sent straight to Twitter. But they were literally things that were jokes. Like one an- unanswered question amongst the emails that they found uh, asked, do agencies like the FBI and DHS do in-house flagging work for themselves, or do they farm it out? You have to prove to me that the inside the government, you can do anything of with massive data or an AI search, says one former intelligence officer. And then uh, one of the emails says, hello, Twitter contacts, the master canine quality of the FBI's relationship to Twitter comes through in this November 22 email in which the FBI in San Francisco is notifying them that it wants action on four accounts, saying that in the case here, they wanted to suspend all four accounts whose tweets were almost all jokes. And there's, you know, photos of this and I'll put it on on social media so you can take a look at Rich Valdes with an S. But this was... uh, really interesting because they were saying it was civic misinformation and they were using a joke that I've made a bunch of times where I kind of say, look, if election day is November 8th, then um, that's the day for Republicans to vote. And if election day is November 8th, I tell Democrats it's November 9th, right? This is a joke. But uh, of course they took it the wrong way. And the FBI now is contacting Twitter for tweets that are jokes. Now, just to show the FBI can be hyper-intrusive in both directions, they also asked Twitter to review Uh, some Democrat accounts for a different kind of joke, except here it was even more obvious that they were kidding. You know, uh, one person said they were a ballot counter in their state. And if you're not wearing a mask, I'm not counting your vote. Obviously, that's a, uh, you know, a joke. But this is one of those things because, you know, you don't hand them the the ballot, right? It goes in a machine and then they take it out. Anyway, the point was, they, these guys were overly aggressive. This is a, a totalitarian move where the FBI is using power that they have, and they're abusing this power. And, and this goes on, and you can read all about it on your own time. I just wanted to give you uh, the gist of it, and, and the main gist of it, from my opinion, was that they are using their power to act as a subsidiary of the government. Twitter has control over your account. The FBI has law enforcement capability. They're overstepping their bounds, and this is where we are. So Twitter is now a subsidiary of the federal government, and they're doing this to stifle you. Now, this is problematic because obviously these are private companies, and that, that this comes up all the time. Well, they could do whatever they want if they want to stifle you. We can make this argument, and, and I'm glad that people do. But at the end of the day, this is akin to Target saying, look, you can buy something here, but you can't, right? We're, we're, gonna, we're not going to allow you to buy something, or we're not going to let you speak on Twitter. I'm sure these were the same arguments that they made back in the in the '50s and prior to that, when we had Jim Crow laws, where they said, "Oh no, no, you can you can come here, but you got to ride on the back of the bus. You can come into the cafe, but you got to sit in the coloreds only section. You can uh, drink from the water fountain, but only the uh, water fountain that's labeled colored." Is that the America that we live in today? Because apparently it is. If it's on Twitter now, you've got Professor Jay Bhattacharya. excuse me. Uh, he's a professor from Stanford. You heard last time. He was blacklisted because he said, I think lockdowns are going to be bad for kids. The minute he signed up for Twitter to start sharing his research, and again, this is Stanford University, M.D., Ph.D., a doctor, scientist. And they said, uh-uh, uh uh, hell no, you're not getting on here. You're not going to tell people that lockdowns are bad for kids. And they blacklisted him from day one. By the way, he's going to be on my nighttime show. If you get a chance to listen to that 10 o'clock Eastern, uh, it'll be, um, let's see, when will we have Dr. Bhattacharya on It's going to be on the 19th of December, Monday, the 19th of December, if you want to check it out. Feel free to check out your local listings, uh, and I'll tweet it out as well. But the point here is he was blacklisted, and this is the science, right? So follow the science, follow the science, unless we don't like what the science is saying or where it leads in this particular situation. That's not cool, but lamentably, that's where we are today with this social media acting as a subsidiary, and this is what we know because Then the richest man in the world went and bought Twitter and said, look, I'm going to expose all of this so you guys can see exactly what's going on inside the belly of the beast here at Twitter. But this doesn't mean that this isn't happening in other places. Now, of course, you can make the argument and say, no, 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 but Rich, come on. We can't just presume this is happening at Facebook. It's happening at TikTok. It's happening at Instagram. It's happening here, there, and anywhere else. You do whatever you want. I'm just telling you to me. I can see the writing on the wall. I'm reading the tea leaves. This looks like it is a constant to control whatever narrative they want to put out. They did the same thing with the Hunter Biden laptop. They made sure that people couldn't get the information. This obviously affects the outcome of an election because people have already taken the surveys saying that if they'd known about the Hunter Biden laptop, they may not have voted for Biden. So they've got their thumb on the scale. And it happens just in everything that they seem to be doing nowadays, the party that's empowered the Democrat Party. So people say, Rich, why are you always so tough on the Democrats? I don't hate the Democrats. I love the Democrats. Right? They're my people. If you're a Democrat, I love you. The problem here is I don't love what they're doing. I don't love what they stand for. I don't love that they're against the Constitution, oftentimes pro-secularization. And we're going to talk about that in our third segment, or fourth segment, excuse me, when we wrap this thing up. I want to get into that. There's a really good piece uh, on secularization and how— this is um, really kind of antithetical to what the founders envisioned. We need virtue and um, religiosity, if you will, was, was built into it. At least you know some sort of uh, commitment to faith and, and morality, and usually they're they're tied, you know, at the hip. But you, they're not. They are extricable. You can be atheistic and still be moral. But that doesn't seem to be the case. Although you'll find a few people go, listen, we're not religious at all. My kids are the nicest people you'll ever meet. Good for you, pal. Guess what? Look in the mirror. You're alone. There's not a lot of people like that. Most people raise their kids with a fear of God, a love for God, and they tend to be better people. Now you could go ahead, cue all the people, church haters, Christian haters, whoever you are, that want to say, you want gossip, you go to the church, you'll find it. You want to find hypocrites, go to the church, you'll find it. Understood, granted, and agreed. There's hypocrites everywhere. That's not the point. By and large, I don't think Jesus is bad for people's lives, right? By and large, I don't think Christianity is a bad thing. I don't think going to church is a bad thing. For most people, the majority of them benefit from this, and I think there's plenty of research out there to make that case. I also want to talk about the economy. We're going to get with the uh, E.J. Anthony. He's a uh, one of the uh, scholars and residents at the Heritage Foundation, he's going to break down what's going on with the economy with us, and then we're going to do that uh, discussion on the secularization. So, again, Twitter, out of control. The media in general, I think it's out of control. And when you talk about free speech, I think it lives right here, not only on 1210 WPHT, but it lives in talk radio. It lives on the social media apps like Truth Social, like Parler, like Getter, where you're allowed to speak your mind without censorship. Where if you have a you know a thousand or ten thousand followers, they can see what you're actually putting out on your posts. Where you're not stifled, where you're not shadow banned, where you're not you know visibly uh, reduced or whatever the terminology was. And I think we got to get to a place where the best ideas win, and a, the best idea can't win if you're stifling the best idea. So don't go anywhere. Don't move a muscle. I am Rich Valdez. This is America. This is America.
0: The holidays always find a way. Hola, Amara La Negra here from Exactly Amara Podcast. Holidays y tradiciones go hand in hand. Whether you're making moms famous recipes or getting your kids all dolled up to spend time with their loved ones, it's really about enjoying the real magic of the season by surrounding yourself with buenos amigos y familia, delicious food, mucho amor y cariño, and of course, ice cold Coke. Because Coca-Cola pairs perfectly with every holiday get-together, Coca-Cola and the My Cultura Podcast Network is another great pairing. With their generous support, we can continue to bring you our stories our way and told by us. There's no better time to celebrate our stories than now and to celebrate our storytellers all year long. Coca-Cola, proud partner of the My Cultura Podcast Network. Listen to new episodes of your favorite My Cultura shows available on the iHeartRadio app Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Ya vienen las fiestas. Hola, Amara La Negra here from Exactly Amara Podcast. The holidays always find a way. From Abuela's traditional arroz con gandule recipe to living room dance parties. Enjoy the real magic of the season by surrounding yourself with buenos amigos y familia, delicious food, and of course, ice cold Coke. Because Coca-Cola pairs perfectly with every holiday get-together. Coca-Cola, proud partner of the MicroTura Podcast Network. Listen to new episodes of your favorite MicroTuda shows available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. When it comes
3: to life's adventures, Hyundai is thinking of every mile. It's your journey.
4: Our podcast in our own world takes listeners through our entire journey. The good, the bad, and the
3: oftentimes hilarious moments that make up our lives.
4: Whether we're pulling prank calls on our friends or having an honest discussion about representation, it's all a part of our story. And Hyundai
3: knows your journey is at the heart of your story. That's why they're by your side to cover all of the many miles and milestones together.
4: And thanks to Hyundai, My Cultura listeners can experience the incredible journey of our Latino content creators. We're using their
3: voices to share their stories because we all have a story.
4: Join us as we voyage through life and celebrate its beauty its diversity, and the voices of our culture.
3: Together, we're discovering our road. Hyundai, proud partner of the My Cultura Podcast Network. It's your journey.
5: This is America. He's brown, he's bald, and he's breaking it down.
6: Oh, he's so handsome. What's his name?
1: Rich Valdez. But the reason that energy prices have been so high and the reason that food costs are so high is partially because of Russia's invasion of Ukraine and their weaponization of both of those things. So ending that war as quickly as possible, making sure that invasion ends is not only good for our values, but it's also good for our economy.
2: Huh. Okay, inflation's great for the economy, everybody. All right, folks, welcome back. I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. That was, let me just make sure I don't get his name right, or his name wrong, I should say. Uh, One of the advisors to the Biden administration, Wally Adeyemo, Deputy Treasury Secretary, uh, and he was on the morning joke on MSNBC. And he's blaming Russia for high inflation and food costs in the United States. And, you know, that's just how it is sometimes when you're the administration. All they do is play the blame game. And uh, as you guys know, if I knew uh, a whole lot about the economy, I would have been an economist. Uh, Instead, I got into radio. But that's why we bring you experts. For example, E.J. Antony from the Heritage Foundation. He's a regional economics expert and he's with us right now. E.J., welcome, sir
1: rich thank you for having me
2: it's my pleasure i'm really excited to speak with you because every now and again you know we will bring in somebody different i've spoken with steve forbes and gotten his take on on the economy and inflation and and the fed's theory on this the, you know how they soften the blow soften the crash landing um spoken with um uh Rickards on this and 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 Some have similarities, others have differences, but it seems to me whatever's happening here doesn't seem to be smooth at all. No, no, not at all. But, you know, this whole idea
1: of a soft landing, I mean, let's try to put this in perspective here. You know, imagine a pilot taking a commercial airliner up beyond its, its, whatever its altitude limit is, stalling Mm -hmm. out the engines, and then trying to bring that thing in for a soft landing. I mean, that's basically what the Federal Reserve has done by pouring all of this literally free money into the economy and now trying to reel it all back in. You are going to create a disaster. I mean,
2: there's just no way around that. What do you say to your colleagues that they say, well, this is the way you handle it. This is what you have to do. This is what Volcker did. This is the remedy that we have for high inflation is this is just what you do. And that's just how it's going to be.
1: No, there's there certainly is a lot of truth to that. I mean, Volcker and Reagan gave us the formula of how you deal with slow economic growth and high inflation, both of which we have today. And that formula is the Federal Reserve needs to allow interest rates to seek their natural level instead of trying to to set them as if they know what the market is is doing, which they obviously don't. They have no idea. They can't dictate what interest rates should be. I mean, imagine the hubris of these people. But then on the the federal government side, we need deregulation. We need lower taxes in order to spur economic growth. Again, this is the winning formula. It has worked before and it'll work now if we just implement
2: it. Yeah. And again, I base my limited understanding of of the free market on what I've read, uh, The Invisible Hand, Adam Smith. What I've always felt is just get out of the way, right? It works by itself, but you put your thumb on the scale and we're, you know, we end up in trouble. And I feel like that's where we are and forgive me, but why are we doing all of this thumb on the scale?
1: Oh, Rich, that's a great question. So we have to remember that inflation is a tax. Now it's a hidden tax. So it's not something that Congress has to vote on. The president has to sign, but it is still fundamentally a tax. Why on so earth that sounds the more Reserve like what they
2: call on the street VIG, you know, that extra interest that's like usury that they charge you when the mob lends you money.
1: Right. But now why on earth would the Federal Reserve cause this hidden tax? It's because mm-hmm. the Federal Reserve has today basically become the an extra financing arm for the Treasury. So the Treasury is constantly spending more money than it takes in. Right. And when it does that, it needs to float bonds, meaning it needs to promise someone to pay uh uh, pay them back money that they're borrowing today so what happens though is the treasury borrows so much money that they can't find enough lenders at these low interest rates and so the federal reserve steps in and literally creates the money out of nothing for the treasury to spend and the problem when you do that is you devalue the dollar And that's why prices everywhere are rising. A lot of times we think of inflation as this item is going up or that item is going up. You have to remember what's really happening is the the dollar is shrinking. The dollar, the unit of measure is actually shrinking. And when your yardstick shrinks, you need more of those yardsticks to cover the same distance.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. Good way of positioning that. So that makes a lot of sense. Do you feel that with the current increases that we've had to the... Uh, to the interest rate. Are we at a place where we could leave it alone and try to stabilize things? Or do we really need these uh, additional increases that they said are going to be happening in the foreseeable future?
1: Oh, we we need the planned increases and then some, Rich. I mean, we we are nowhere near where we need to be. You know, to to put this in context, again, going back to Volker, the last time we had inflation run up this high, where it broke nine percent earlier this year, at that point, Volker had interest rates in the double digits. Meanwhile, this Federal Reserve still had them at two percent. I mean, it's it's just it's frankly obnoxious that these people claim to be aggressive that they claim to be taking the fight to inflation when they themselves have fueled it and and are now uh, essentially just being cowardly in trying to deal with it rates need to move much higher much faster and again it's not a matter of the federal reserve saying we think interest rates should be x y or z it's a matter of the federal reserve taking their thumb off the scale as you said and allowing these rates to find their natural level. But if they do that, borrowing at the Treasury will become prohibitively expensive.
2: And that's why they won't do it. Ah, that's the uh, secret sauce there. Got it. All right, folks, we are on with E.J. Antony. He is with the Heritage Foundation, regional economics expert.
1: No, you know, I, Rich, I don't have the uh, self-control to be on social media. So the the best place people can find (laughs) me is heritage.org.
2: Perfect. I don't know that I have it either, but they still let me on. Anyway, uh, we're going (laughs) to continue this conversation because you've written a piece. and I want you to kind of walk us through this piece you've written because I think it's a very thoughtful piece with the title, Blaming Consumers for Inflation Makes No Sense. Here's the real cover. And I want to get into that because I think it's – this is – thrown around the media every day. People see it on TV, people hear it, but ultimately we, we watch TV and then we hear these sound bites like the one I played before from the treasury official or the ones that come from, from Deese or from Biden himself. And it seems like they're like, no, don't believe your, your wallet, your debit card, your trip to the grocery store. There's no inflation. Things are fantastic. And every day it seems like things are better and better. And oh my gosh, we're doing great. And they're throwing parties. And yet, Things aren't great. And the only thing I've seen was a very brief reprieve uh, when I filled up my my tank yesterday to take a long trip. So I'm thinking, I know people aren't stupid. That's one thing I do know. And I, I wonder, and this is less of an economist question, but more of just how is it that people swallow this stuff? And like you said in your piece here, how is it that we can blame the consumers and blame Russia and blame absolutely everybody for all of this? And to me, this is one of those things where, I don't think the administration is going to be able to talk their way out of this the way they've been doing it. Uh what do you think? No, not at all. But I think because they have so many sycophants in
1: the media, that is buying them coverage, but it only buys you coverage for a certain amount of time because you know, if I see my neighbor uh, lose their job, but I still have mine, I'm probably willing to swallow the media's tripe.
2: Our guest is e j. Anthony. He is the regional economics expert at the Heritage Foundation, and he's written this piece that I want him to really carefully go through with us. And it references a comment that was made by Treasury secretary Janet Yellen. And uh, we have a short version. I think we have the the full context. It's probably about a minute, maybe a little bit longer than a minute, but I want to play the full context of this so that you can really understand the um, the gall of these officials when they say, "Look, look, this isn't our bad. This is your bad." Check this out. Can you explain
1: how inflation got so high? Because two years ago, everything seemed fine. Uh, even in 2021, on you and other members of the administration, believed that inflation was a small risk. What happened? Uh, Simply and clearly.
5: That's a challenge. That is, yeah. yeah. Uh, So we had a rapid recovery from the pandemic. When President Biden was elected, unemployment was quite high. It was close to 7%. And we put policies in place that generated a very rapid recovery. Unemployment quickly fell back into the threes.
2: What is Um,
5: it now? Where is it now? Three seven. Okay. So normally you wouldn't expect um, just because you had a rapid recovery, uh, for inflation to rise very much, if at all. But it turned out the pandemic had very special impacts on the economy. Remember, everybody stopped spending on services; they were in their homes for a year or more. Um, They wanted to buy grills and office furniture. They were working from home. Mm. They suddenly started splurging on goods, buying technology. Um, You know, we we suddenly working Mm. through technology. And bottlenecks started developing where supply in particular important sectors of the economy just couldn't keep up with
2: demand. I don't know how true that is. EJ Antoni, how do you respond to what's your reaction to that clip? Well, I would say number one, just look at the facts, right?
1: If the price of grills and office furniture were the only things that were going up, then I would say yes, that that makes total sense. People shifted their demand from a bunch of other things to a few specific things. That has happened in the past, by the way, in our nation's history and it has caused other prices to go down, and the prices of things that people are now buying go up. That makes perfect sense. But what have we seen? We've seen everything go up. It wasn't as if just the few items that people were so-called splurging on, as, as Janet Yellen said. It's not as if those were the only items going up. Everything is getting more expensive again. It goes back to the fact that it is the dollar that is shrinking.
2: And as that happens, everything gets more expensive. So now when, they, when you blame consumers for this shrinkage of the dollar, I don't see how she can reconcile that. No, th- there is no way to reconcile that. And, you know, that, that's why
1: when you have these interviews with people like Janet Yellen, they never go into any kind of depth. Because if mm-hmm. you did, you would very, very quickly find out that nothing they're saying makes any sense. I mean, even look at when she, she said that we had such a rapid recovery and that had something to do with it. The recovery under Trump was faster. We recovered more jobs in less time right we saw people's pay go up faster relative to prices that didn't cause inflation it was it's not as if economic growth somehow causes prices to rise that's nonsensical people are being more productive they get paid more there's more output in the economy there are more goods and services to buy that's called growth that's how we build wealth that's not automatically going to cause everything to get more expensive consumers can't cause inflation because consumers don't have a printing press for dollar bills, only the Federal Reserve does.
2: I think that's a big part of the problem. Ultimately, you've mentioned how we we have to continue this this formula. We're going to trigger a recession that's going to kill a lot of jobs, and this is expected to last longer than anybody wants. But how long do you anticipate that actually lasting?
1: You know, it is going to depend entirely on how quickly we get our act together and we turn this big old battleship around. And granted, she takes a long time to turn around, but still. Reagan and Volcker showed us that you can have a deep but short recession so long as you quickly reverse the bad policies that got us here. And I think that's very important to remember because it gives us a glimmer of hope. All of the significant problems that we have right now in the American economy are self-inflicted wounds. We truly have no underlying systemic issues. And so if we simply reverse the causes, we will reverse the effects as well.
2: Now, forgive me for oversimplifying, but is the self-inflicted wound the liberal tax and spend policies that we've seen with all of this, these um, spending bills? That, that's exactly right. No,
1: that, that's not an oversimplification at all. As the government spends more money, as we were just saying, Rich, what happens? Eventually, the Federal Reserve ends up stepping in to make the borrowing uh, uh, you know, affordable, essentially. And what that does is it devalues the dollar, causes mm-hmm. inflation, and at the same time, if you're going to tax people to death, guess what? When you tax something, you get less of it. It's amazing how we forget that the whole reason we tax smoking, we tax alcohol, and all of these right. other so-called sin taxes, we want to discourage that behavior. What do you think happens when you tax working? You discourage work. <laughs> and right. so as you tax these things, you get less of it.
2: Oh, that's horrible. So it seems simple to me. Like, don't do that. You know, let's not do that. I, Trump that was part of this spending issue. From my brief memory, I remember the economy being shut down because everybody was locked down and they gave out these checks and whatever. But then we kind of got back online. But then there was the American Rescue Plan and all of these huge packages after we would already opened the economy. So I think, you know, based on what we just talked about, that seems like something we shouldn't do. And if we have an administration or even, you know, a political party that thrives on the idea that government has to keep spending. How could we, even if we trigger this job killing uh, recession, how could we really ever bounce back if all they ever do is spend money? You you don't. And that's one of the reasons why you had three presidents
1: before Reagan who all presided over uh, uh, essentially periods of slow economic growth and high inflation because they all tried the same failed policies over and over and over again. I mean, it really, you have to go all the way back before Reagan, you have to go all the way back to JFK before there's any kind of meaningful cuts to taxation and government spending. And sure enough, there's really not a whole lot of of sound economic growth that happens between those two presidents either.
2: Horrible. Well, I want to pause right here and come back. And when we come back, I want you to kind of, uh, and again, I, I shoot from the hip as a, as a guy who's not an economist, but, but uh, I don't see a cause for celebration on this 7.1. But maybe you could uh, help us understand that a little bit better. Folks, we're on with E.J. Anthony. He is the regional economics expert at the Heritage Foundation. And our phone number, if you want to join the conversation, 866-505-4626. I am Rich Valdez, and we're coming right back.
5: This is America.
0: The holidays always find a way. Hola, Amara La Negra here from Exactly Amara Podcast. Holidays y tradiciones go hand in hand. Whether you're making mom's famous recipes or getting your kids all dolled up to spend time with their loved ones, it's really about enjoying the real magic of the season by surrounding yourself with buenos amigos y familia, delicious food, mucho amor y cariño, and of course, ice cold Coke. Because Coca-Cola pairs perfectly with every holiday get-together, Coca-Cola and the My Cultura Podcast Network is another great pairing. With their generous support, we can continue to bring you our stories our way and told by us. There's no better time to celebrate our stories than now and to celebrate our storytellers all year long. Coca-Cola, proud partner of the My Cultura Podcast Network. Listen to new episodes of your favorite My Cultura shows available on the iHeartRadio app Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.
3: When it comes to life's adventures, Hyundai is thinking of every mile. It's your journey.
0: Our podcast
4: in our own world takes listeners through our entire journey.
3: The good, the bad, and the oftentimes hilarious moments that make up our
4: lives. Whether we're pulling prank calls on our friends or having an honest discussion about representation, it's all a part of our story. And Hyundai
3: knows your journey is at the heart of your story. That's why they're by your side to cover all of the many miles and milestones together.
4: And thanks to Hyundai, My Cultura listeners can experience the incredible journey of our Latino content creators.
3: We're using their voices to share their stories because we all have a story.
4: Join us as we voyage through life and celebrate its beauty, its diversity, and the voices of our culture.
3: Together, we're discovering our road. Hyundai, proud partner of the My Cultura podcast network. It's your journey
0: the holidays always find a way. Hola, Amara La Negra here from Exactly Amara Podcast. Holidays y tradiciones go hand in hand. Whether you're making mom's famous recipes or getting your kids all dolled up to spend time with their loved ones, it's really about enjoying the real magic of the season by surrounding yourself with buenos amigos y familia, delicious food, mucho amor y cariño, and of course, ice cold Coke. Because Coca-Cola pairs perfectly with every holiday get-together, Coca-Cola and the My Cultura Podcast Network is another great pairing. With their generous support, we can continue to bring you our stories our way and told by us. There's no better time to celebrate our stories than now and to celebrate our storytellers all year long. Coca-Cola, proud partner of the My Cultura Podcast Network. Listen to new episodes of your favorite My Cultura shows available on the iHeartRadio app Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: The 45th President, Donald Trump, thinks it's an honor to speak with Rich Valdez. Oh, very good,
5: Mr. Carl Screener.
1: Yeah. What's an honor. Thanks, Rich. The honor is all yours. Conservative talk with a dash of sofrito. Now, here's Rich Valdez. So I, I just I don't think anyone knows uh, whether we're going to have a recession or not. And if we do, whether it's going to be a deep one or not, it's just it's not knowable. And um, certainly, uh, you know, lower inflation reports, were they to continue for a period of time, would, would increase the likelihood of of a. So I would put it this way of a, of a, a return to price stability that involves significantly less, uh, inc- less of an increase in unemployment than would be expected given historical record
2: all right that is uh fed chairman jay powell saying we uh don't know this we don't know that but if we do it will have less of an increase on unemployment meaning this is a job killer (laughs) that's no other way to look at it uh maybe he's trying to say it'll be a job herder instead of a job killer but yes we're going to lose jobs as a result of the recession that is coming because we're going to see a recession and that we're going to trigger ourselves in order to try to destroy inflation, which we created ourselves. And by we, I mean, Joe Biden and his friends, Janet Yellen and uh, Jerome Powell. So that's um, the, the scoop from Powell himself. So, we're on with E.J. Antony, he's the economics expert at the Heritage Foundation, and I can't understand why we would think 7.1 is great. Now, I will admit, it's better than 8.3 or 8.4 or whatever it was prior, but we're not really out of the woods, are we?
1: No, not at all. I mean, could you think of a better
2: example of damning with faint praise
1: than to say that somehow this new inflation rate is good because it's not quite as horrific as it was a few months ago? I mean at this pace you are going to have prices doubling in about a decade that's horrific
2: yeah and obviously nobody's paycheck is is keeping up with that rate of inflation it's incredulity that sets in when i hear people say these things and or even when biden tries to spin it politically saying oh but we've seen this it's going down and everything's going down and and then they play games to bring gas prices down and, and then there's people who defend these games that they play. I mean, you know, maybe you could help me understand why people would defend that, but I can't defend the notion of emptying out or you know, reducing the amount of uh, strategic petroleum reserve that we have in order to affect gas prices domestically. Um, I see it as a pure political stunt, while others uh, say, no, 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 this is what you have to do because this is a global situation and we've got to prevent Russia. My goodness. The... Oh, these people. The The Strategic <laughs> Petroleum
1: Reserve has gone from being a, a strategic asset to being a tactical political tool. And at the end of the day, we are draining this thing, and now we're going to have to refill it. So we're going to go from dumping all this extra supply onto the market to then having to buy it back. So now we're going to reduce the supply. We are going to have such a whiplash in the oil market it's going to be even worse than it was over the summer when we had the the invasion of of ukraine for example i mean they are it is absolutely amazing how much of these people operate purely on political motives and nothing mm-hmm. else look at what biden did with with the railroad deal where he struck a deal with the union leadership that basically just got us through the election and then after the election everyone was panicking about a rail strike because it turns out the union leaders liked the deal, but none of the members really liked it that much. Look mm-hmm. at what Biden did with Saudi Arabia. He tried cutting a deal with a secret deal with Saudi Arabia and then everyone found out about it. But he tried cutting a secret deal right. that they they would not <laughs> increase right, that they would not increase prices by cutting production until after the election. It is all about politics.
2: That's horrible. Uh, E.J., stand by. We have a question from Larry calling in from Charleston, South Carolina. Larry, you're on with Rich Valdez and E.J. Antony. Go right ahead, sir. Why? You know, you say that the, uh, int- it, the printing more money is what, ca- chasing fewer objects is what causes the inflation, but then they raise the interest rates up. And if you raise the interest rates up, Everything else that has to be borrowed is going to have to go up in price, which seems to me to be the very definition of inflation. All right, Larry, Are thank in- you. E.J., go right ahead. No, that, that's a
1: great question. And what happens is the we have to remember that the raising of the interest rate is not actually the cause here. It's the symptom. The cause is the Federal Reserve getting money off the market, It's them taking money out of the banking system and out of the economy. So as money becomes more scarce, there's less available to lend. And we have to remember that the interest rate is actually just a price. It's the price of loanable funds, meaning if I want to borrow money or if I have money available that I want to lend. What is the price I can charge or what is the price I will have to pay for borrowing or lending that money? That is all an interest rate is. It's just a price. It's a piece of information. And so the Federal Reserve is getting money out of the market and that's causing the interest rate to go up. So yes, they are decreasing the amount of money relative to the amount of goods and services. But one of the side effects of that, you're absolutely right, is that borrowing becomes more expensive and that drives up borrowing
2: costs. All right. Thank you, Larry. Now, EJ, again, I just want to remind everybody how they can keep in touch with the work that you're doing. Uh, You said heritage.org is the place to go. If anybody wants to take a look at the articles he's written, there's some pretty uh, interesting topics that I think you'd want to check out uh, in particular on the economy.
1: Honestly, the best place to follow me really is at at heritage.org
2: fantastic well we look forward to bringing you back very insightful conversation uh you you make the hard stuff easy to understand and i appreciate that and i hope you'll consider coming back rich it'd be a pleasure thank you for having me you bet all right america that's ej anthony from the heritage foundation and there is more to come straight ahead this is america
3: when it comes to life's adventures hyundai is thinking of every mile it's your journey
4: our podcast in our own world takes listeners through our entire journey.
3: The good, the bad, and the oftentimes hilarious moments that make up our lives.
4: Whether we're pulling prank calls on our friends or having an honest discussion about representation, it's all a part of our story. And Hyundai knows your journey
3: is at the heart of your story. That's why they're by your side to cover all of the many miles and milestones together.
4: And thanks to Hyundai, my Cultura listeners can experience the incredible journey of our Latino content creators.
3: We're using their voices to share their stories, because we all have a story.
4: Join us as we voyage through life and celebrate its beauty, its diversity, and the voices of our culture. Together,
3: we're discovering our road. Hyundai, proud partner of the My Cultura Podcast Network. It's your journey
0: the holidays always find a way. Hola, Amara La Negra here from Exactly Amara Podcast. Holidays y tradiciones go hand in hand. Whether you're making mom's famous recipes or getting your kids all dolled up to spend time with their loved ones, it's really about enjoying the real magic of the season by surrounding yourself with buenos amigos y familia, delicious food, mucho amor y cariño, and of course, ice cold Coke. Because Coca-Cola pairs perfectly with every holiday get-together, Coca-Cola and the My Cultura Podcast Network is another great pairing. With their generous support, we can continue to bring you our stories our way and told by us. There's no better time to celebrate our stories than now and to celebrate our storytellers all year long. Coca-Cola, proud partner of the My Cultura Podcast Network. Listen to new episodes of your favorite My Cultura shows available on the iHeartRadio app Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.
6: Hola, ¿qué tal? It's Chiquis from the Chiquis and Chill podcast. State Farm apoya con orgullo este podcast and all the storytellers on the My Cultura podcast network. They value nuestra familia as much as we do, and that's why they're offering surprisingly great rates so you don't have to give up on doing what you love. With State Farm, you'll help protect what's important to you. Together, we're committed to elevating the Latino experience. It's our time to be heard about so many topics. Y con el apoyo de State Farm, nuestras voces can speak about mental health, familia, financial literacy, body positivity y mucho más. State Farm supports our vision, our communities, our neighborhoods y nuestra gente. Tus seres queridos son tan importantes para ellos como lo son para ti. Como un buen vecino, State Farm está ahí. State Farm. A proud sponsor of the My Cultura Podcast Network.
5: This is America.
0: Para ingles o primal numero dos. Para Rich Valdez. Y esto es America. Ahora.
2: All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And uh, I want to talk about secularization, right? Because we have this uh, ongoing conversation where you used to be, you know, for God's sake. Then that became, for goodness sake. Then that became, dye your hair blue, put on a dress and call yourself non-binary. Now kids are being taught this stuff in school and it is through kindergarten through third grade in one way or another. And they're making the argument that if Snow White or Sleeping Beauty could have a prince charming, then why can't so-and-so have a same-sex lover? And this is obviously, you know, unnatural, you, the natural order of things. You can't procreate with uh, this same-sex situation. But they, they make this case, and for some, they're like, yeah, you know what, you really make a great point. That's so true. We've been indoctrinating people with with princes and princesses, and it's only fair that we get our shot to do whatever. And of course, you know, th- this is not how life works, but they try to sell you this bill of goods. They try to use their um, illogical rhetoric to appeal to the fairness in most people's hearts and minds. But the reality is, that's not fair. <laughs> it's, uh, it's quite the opposite actually, where you're, you're being unfair to people. And this uh, massive push towards secularization was revisited in uh, National Review. There's an interesting piece here that I want to share with you. It's by Mary Eberstadt, and it explains why there's hope for faith. It's called Secularization Revisited, There's Hope for Faith, as I just said. (laughs) Even as Christians everywhere rejoice the impending holiday, Christmas is coming, the faith itself faces sober times. This is especially true across nations of the West. Consider a subject that sounds parochial, but amounts to a civilizational bellwether. The statistics on religious belief and unbelief in the 2021 censuses. Together, these construct a window through which to view nothing less than one of the greatest social experiments in recorded history. That enterprise has been ongoing under different guises for centuries. To some, it's known as Matthew Arnold's low receding roar of religious faith. To others, it's the process of what's called secularization, or the ceding to non-religious authorities of territories once considered to be gods, and gods alone. And its most sweeping in this experiment amounts to doing what most human beings before us have done or not done, which is to live as purely as you know, kind of material entities without reference to transcendent realms, like heaven. This fact of Western religious decline is far from new. Even so, to judge by the 2021 Australia census, listen to this, secularization is now galloping at a pace that even most prescient observers might not have even foreseen. In 2021, just under 44% of Australians in the census called themselves Christian. Only 20% earlier, in 2001, Uh, It was 68%. Uh, 20 years before that, in 1981, it was 74% of those that were surveyed describing themselves as Christians. And 50 years ago, in 1971, fully 86% called themselves Christians. From 86% in 71 to just under 44% today, in effect, the percentage of the Australian population calling itself Christian has been cut in half in 50 years. Now, about a week or two ago, whether it was on the nighttime show America at Night with Rich Valdez, which is syndicated nationally, and I hope you're tuning in and checking that out where we interview a bunch of different newsmakers. But uh, I saw a piece, I think it was in Sky News out of the U.K., and they said the U.K. and Wales, same thing, 42 or 44%, first time in in, in uh, ever in recorded history that they've fallen below 50% of those um, in the country saying that they're not Christians or that they are Christians, the majority not being Christians. Now, every other Western society exhibits a similar growing indifference. In the United States, founded in large part by Protestant religious refugees, 63% of the population now calls itself Christian. Forecasters expect that that number will fall below 15% in a few more decades. So think of that. In 30 years, less than 50% of Americans will acknowledge uh, themselves as Christians. This is a big deal because this place was founded on this. But I get it. Times change. I'm not against times changing. Forecasters expect that number to fall below 50%. I'm against that. I don't care if times change. I just don't think we should abandon our faith. Now I know there's people out there saying, no, 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 Rich, but you don't understand. You can't push your faith on everybody. Yes, I can. (laughs) That's actually exactly what I could do. That's what my first amendment is for. So I can go and stand on a crate on the corner and tell people how great I think Jesus is. I can do that. And they can do the same for Allah and Buddha and anybody else, because that is part of what this country is all about. So I always talk about the battle uh, of good ideas in in the free marketplace of ideas. So I don't mind losing if my idea is not the best idea. But if I think my idea is the best idea, then listen, we're going to have to tussle. We're going to have to go at it and figure out how we're going to get things done because we're on a trajectory where we're going away from Christianity. And in the United States, we're not necessarily going towards another religion. We're going towards utter secularization people just being agnostic or atheistic, maybe deistic in, in in a very minimal way, but this isn't helping. This is where the abandonment of virtue comes in, where we're not a virtuous people, where we're not seeking to do what's right, where we're acting as ill-spirited. And listen, I can tell you, Democrat policies are destroying America's fabric. That's true, but that doesn't mean I want to lock up the Democrats, arrest the Democrats. I don't want to break off from them in the union. I don't want to have a civil war. I don't want to do any of those things. I want to reason with them and I want to beat them fair and square because my ideas are better. I believe the free market's a better idea than socialism. I believe that Christianity's a better idea than secularism. Uh, secularism. You know, uh, this is what I believe. And that's what I would do for myself in my life. Now, again, Just like Paul said, I am, you know, maybe perhaps the greatest sinner among thee, you know, or these that are here. Understood. It's still a good idea whether I am a great Christian or a very bad Christian. And I think that's the point. Right is always right, irrespective of if we choose wrong unwittingly or wittingly. We have to do what's right because it's right for the sake of what's right do things for god's sake not for goodness sake and not for the sake of dyeing your hair blue putting on a dress and calling yourself nine binary and then taking every last kid you can with you or saying things like you know they're not pedophiles they're minor attracted persons we've got to get on track because we're going grossly astray pretty soon i'm going to be uh, doing a show on a little bit of a deep dive on the nighttime show And if I fill in for Mark Levin on The Mark Levin Show, which I might be doing soon in December, I might talk about it there. But we're going to talk a little bit about Dr. Alfred Kinsey and how his philosophy is very, very dangerous. But there's more to come on that. Hasta la próxima. Until the next time, if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. And the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good people like you to sit there and do nothing. So rise up, stand up, take that action, do what you got to do, do it peacefully. Because now is the time to do it. America needs you more now than she's ever needed you before. I am Rich Valdez, and this is America.
5: This is America.